Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Psalm 100 tells us, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good, and His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. You know, Pastor Steve always talks to us about doing the book. So this morning, before we begin our time, as we examine the Word of God, I want us to do the book this morning. I want us to do exactly what that Word just said, to praise Him this morning, to thank Him for His goodness. And so I want to ask the question, and this is not a rhetorical question, I want an answer, but is there anyone in the house of God this morning that can give praise to God or to give thanks for something this morning? What can you praise Him for? What can you thank Him for this morning? Let me hear you. Direction. Come on, louder. I got to hear you. Family. Health. Healing, salvation. There is so much to be thankful for this morning. God is good all the time. And what? All the time, God is good. You know, it is said that the older one gets, the quicker the years go by. Can I get a witness for that? That is so true. Uh, I'm definitely finding that to be true. Uh, Time is most certainly not our ally. On numerous occasions, the Word of God speaks to the brevity of life. Psalm 39.5 says, Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Psalm 103 verses 15 and 16 says, As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. Psalm 144.4, man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And then James 4, chapter, uh, verse 14 says, yet, do not, yet you do not know what your life will be like. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We have been given but one life, and we have to make the most of it. But how do we do this? How do we make the most of our life? What is the secret of a well-lived life? If you would, open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you'll notice in the seat in front of you, there's a Bible. Um, But also, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one of those. And you can see either me or Pastor Steve uh, after the service, because we want you to have a copy of God's Word. But Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to examine verses 21 and 24 today. 
And as you're opening there and looking, we're going to look at the life of a man in whom little is known about, but yet whose life holds the answer to the question, what is the secret to a well-lived life? This morning, we're going to look and examine the life of a man named Enoch. Enoch truly is one of the most mysterious figures in all of Scripture. He is one of two men in the Bible who never experienced a physical death, the other being the prophet Elijah. But other than the fact that Enoch did not die a physical death, what do we really know about him? Little information is given concerning Enoch, but yet what little we do have speaks volumes about this man in his life. There are actually two Enochs mentioned in Scripture. The first one is actually mentioned in Genesis chapter 4. Enoch was, this Enoch was the son of Cain, the son of Adam and Eve. Cain, after the birth of Enoch, built a city and named it after his son. This is not the Enoch we will be considering. This, uh, this other Enoch is from the line of Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve. This Enoch is only mentioned in five places in Scripture. More, even though he lived in the time of the Old Testament pre-flood, there is actually more said about Enoch in the New Testament than in the Old. We'll be looking at Genesis 5, 21 through 24, but you can also find Enoch referenced in 1 Chronicles 1, 3. He's also mentioned in Luke 3, 37. And then Hebrews 11, 5 through 6, which we'll look at in a few moments, known as the Hall of Faith, he's mentioned in. And then in Jude chapter 1, 14 and 15. What was it about this man of whom we know little about that would cause the writer of Hebrews to place him in Hebrews 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith? You know, as we look at Genesis chapter 5, if you read through chapter 5, you begin to see a pattern. And I want you to just follow along with me for a moment and see if you catch it. We're going to actually start uh, in verse 3. I know it's, it's not going to be on the screen, but take a look in your Bible. It says, When Adam lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and he named him Seth. Then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh and had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Seth's life were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Kenan. Then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. It goes on and on, and then right before Enoch, Jared lived 162 years, and he became the father of Enoch. And then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch and had other sons and daughters. And so all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Do you see the pattern? So-and-so lived so many years, became a father of so-and-so, lived so many afterward, years afterwards, and then he died. Many scholars call this chapter the and he died chapter. However, we'd get to the story of Enoch and it's different. We see a change. We see a break in the pattern. So, 
Let us look now at Genesis chapter 5, 21 through 24. And if you would, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and he became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch's life were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for the Lord took him. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. So here, instead of reading that Enoch lived so many years after he became the father of Methuselah, we read that what? Enoch walked with God. Did you see it? Do do you see it? Do you see the key to a well-lived life? Because here it is. Enoch was a life well-lived because he spent his life walking with God. Hebrews chapter 11, 5 and 6 will tell us that Enoch was pleasing to God. And more about that in a moment. You see, when the Bible speaks about Enoch walking with God, it does so metaphorically. Enoch walking with God indicates that he had a a lifestyle that was characterized by his devotion to God. Walking with God is a common metaphor that's used throughout Scripture to describe a life that's pleasing to God or, in the New Testament, a Christian life. Throughout the Old Testament, we read about many of the heroes of the faith walking with God, men such as Adam, Enoch, Noah, the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, all whom the Bible say walked with God. And then in the New Testament, we are told in scriptures such as Colossians 2, 6 and Galatians 5, 25, we won't read it this time, but you can make reference to the importance of walking in the Lord or walking by the Spirit. So what does this well-lived life look, excuse me, look like? First, like any physical walk, there must be a starting point. There has to be a starting point. Genesis 5, again, 21 and 22 tell us, Enoch lived 65 years and he became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. So the implication of the text is that in the first 65 years of Enoch's life, he did not walk with God. It wasn't until after the birth of his son that we're told that he began to walk with God. So our understanding then must be that within that first 65 years of his life, there was really no difference between Enoch and any of the other people in the world at that time. There was no distinguishing marks that differentiated him between he and the others. That makes me ask the question, and I hope you would ask the question of yourself, what are the distinguishing characteristics of our life that differentiate us and from everyone else in the world around us? You see, Enoch was just living his life Until one day, something happened. There was a change, and it came after his encounter with the Lord. 
Now, yes, becoming a parent, I would think, well, I know, does change your life. But it wasn't simply that he had a son that the change occurred. But Enoch had an encounter with God that changed him forever. From that point on, for the next 300 years, the Bible says he walked with God. May it be said of each of us that we walked with God. If you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, is that not your story? Were you not just going about your life, living your life, and then one day you had an encounter with the living God and you were forever changed? That is the story. You know, one could even make the argument that until you begin to walk with God, you're not truly living. Well, how can I say that? Because the Bible says that. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, tells us, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even at the rest. What's the famous word? But God, right? But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then arguably some of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Very important here. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we could what? Walk in them. You know, it reminds me of the Southern Gospel song written by Bill Gaither many years ago, He Touched Me. Some of you may know this song. The first verse says, Shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me. And what? Now, I'm no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. Hallelujah. You know, I heard a pastor say once, that what you did before you came to Christ no longer matters. The events of your life before you came to Christ no longer define who you are. It no longer defines your life. The focus of Genesis 5, 21 and 24, and then Hebrews, which we'll look at in a moment, 11, 5 through 6, is not on the first 65 years 
of Enoch's life, but on the last 300 years of his life, because that's what mattered, because that's when he walked with God. I praise God that he's a God who allows U-turns. What do I mean by that? I mean, I can be walking one way in many ways, not maybe necessarily walking on the path that God has called me to, but in an instant, I can have an encounter with the living God and he can turn me. I can, a word we use, repent, turn, and get set on the right path, a path that's going to lead to life, an abundant life in him. Hear me when I say this, church, as long as you have breath in your body, as long as your heart is beating, you can always turn to God. Second thing, your walk must be consistent. Your walk must be consistent. A consistent walk with God is one in which we are constantly aware that we are in the very presence of God. One in which we are always in communication with Him. A consistent walk with God first involves a commitment to the study of God's Word. A commitment to the study of God's Word. So I would challenge you today, are you consistently in God's Word? Do you devote a portion of your time every day to the study of His Word? It's through the Word of God that He speaks to us. The second thing I would challenge you is that to be consistent in your walk with God, you have to be committed to prayer. You have to be committed to prayer. Are you a man or a woman of prayer? Do you devote time to pray to the Lord and not simply just asking him for a bunch of things, but do you take time in prayer just to sit before him and to listen to allow him to guide you into what you should be asking for. When I think of having a consistent walk with God, I think of my wife's grandmother. Her name was Jessica Cunningham. And she was probably the greatest example that I've known of someone who had a consistent walk with God. I can remember in her home, at the back of her home, she had a sunroom. And in this sunroom, she had a chair that she would go to every morning and sit in. And right next to the chair, she had a little table with a lamp. And on that table, she had her Bible and she had several devotional books that every morning when she got up, she would spend time in that sunroom, in that chair, pouring over her Bible and going through those devotional books, spending time with prayer. And in the last number of years of her grandmother's life, once she retired, she did a lot of traveling around, visiting her children and her grandchildren. And uh, I remember when my son Grayson was born, uh, she came and stayed with us when Bren had to go back uh, to teaching. She stayed uh, with us for a couple of months. And I remember every morning getting up and seeing Miss Cunningham at, the, at my kitchen table with her Bible and with her devotional books. So even when she wasn't at her own home, she never left without her Bible and those devotional books. When she passed away, Bryn's aunt um, had her Bible and she gave it to Bryn, which I thought was a great blessing. And if you were to look through that Bible, you would see it marked up in so many things that she wrote in there uh, that God uh, had revealed to her. But a consistent walk with God means you got to be committed 
to pouring into the Word of God, to letting God's Word just pour into you. you got to be committed into prayer because that's how you communicate with Him. For 300 years, Enoch walked with God. Think about that for a moment. 300 years, he walked with God consistently. What a powerful testimony that is. You know, in the church, we tend to be drawn to those big sensational testimonies, right? The person that was was um, hooked on drugs that radically was changed by God or that person who was living that life of crime and, and they encountered God and he totally changed them. We're drawn to those kind of testimonies and those are great testimonies, don't get me wrong. But what about that senior adult lady who's 80 years old and came to know Christ at 10, but for the last 70 years has faithfully walked with God, has faithfully served him, I would argue that that's just, if not more, of a powerful testimony. Don't dismiss those testimonies that have, they have walked with God faithfully for year after year, day after day. But there was a point where Enoch chose to walk with God. He chose to walk with God when no one else around him was walking in with God. Let me ask you, if God were to allow you to live 300 years, first, most of us might not want to live 300 years, but if he did, what would your testimony be? If you were to live 300 years, what would your testimony be? Would you be able to survive all of the corruption that existed in the world? Would it be said of you that you walked with God? Now, the temptation here would be to say, well, Enoch's day was not as bad as the world that we live in today. But if you were to say that, I would say, are you sure about that? Because if you look in Genesis chapter 6, we get a picture of what the world he lived in was like. The Bible says, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man, that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of their hearts were evil. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry I have made them. And as you know, in the very next chapter, chapter seven, God sends a flood to destroy the world except for Noah and his family who were safely in the ark. You see, the days in which Enoch lived were just as wicked as our own, just as evil, just as sinful. But yet Enoch chose to consistently walk with God. A.W. Tozer said, quote, If Enoch could have lived and walked by faith in the midst of his sinful generation, we likewise should be able to follow his example, end quote. Enoch lived to be 365 years old. And again, 300 of those years, he walked with God. Now that may seem to us like a very long time, but compared to the other men who lived during that day, it wasn't. If you look back into the early parts of chapter five, you notice that Adam lived 930 years, Seth 912, Enosh 905, Kenan 910, Mahalel 895, Jared, the father of Enoch, 962, and then Enoch's own son, Methuselah, 
was the oldest man in the Bible, lived to be 969 years. So comparatively speaking, Enoch did not live a very long life. But yet in the life that he lived, he walked with God. Hebrews 11, 5 and 6 tells us, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that, that before his take, being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You see, Enoch walked with God, and it pleased him. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, takes the phrase, walked with God, and it, translated it, translate, it translates it as pleased God. You see, to walk with God and please God are two sides of the same coin. If you walk with God, then you are pleasing God. If you're pleasing God, it's because you're walking with God. Enoch pleased God because he was close with God. He was in constant fellowship with him. He pleased God because he was committed to God. He pleased him in his walk. But most importantly, he pleased God because he loved God. Life is short, as I said at the beginning. And we ought to see to it that every moment is lived with that in mind. We don't know when our time on this earth is up. So every minute, every second of our lives matters and should be lived for the glory of God. I love how one commentator put it. He said, quote, to walk with God should be the pattern and routine of our daily lives, not simply the performance of an hour on Sundays. To walk with God should be the pattern and routine of our daily lives and not the performance of an hour on Sundays. If we're going to have a consistent walk with God, we, ask to, we have to also walk knowing that there's a destination in mind. Genesis 5, 23 through 24, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Hebrews eleven five 5, by faith Enoch was taken so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. One Sunday after church, a little girl and her mother were sitting at the lunch table. And the mother asked her daughter, what did you learn about today in Sunday school? And the little girl said, we learned about Enoch. And the mom said, well, why don't you tell me about Enoch? And she said, well, Enoch walked with God. And every day they would go on these walks. And at the end of the day, Enoch would return home. But one day, when Enoch and God went out for this walk, they walked and walked, and they walked for a long time. And when the day came to an end, God said to Enoch, you know, you're a long way from your house. Why don't you just come back to my house? And he did. See, Enoch didn't live a life like the rest of the people around him. And because of that, he did not die a death like everyone else around him. I don't know why God decided to take Enoch instead of allowing him to finish or experience death, but the Bible says that he took him, which can also be translated as that he was transferred or that God moved him. He was transferred or moved from this life into the next. 
Again, commentator said it this way, quote, there was a place for Enoch in heaven because he had a place for God when he was here on this earth, end quote. There was a place for Enoch in heaven because he had a place for God here on this earth. You see, when you walk with God, he'll prepare a place for you in heaven. Jesus himself told us this in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 2 through 3. Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Death doesn't get the final say when you walk with God. So I ask you the question today, are you walking with God? Is your life pleasing to him? Here at First Baptist, we are committed to helping you in your walk with God. The second part of our vision is to provide you with a pathway to become all that God has called you to be in Christ. Our goal here at First Baptist is to make disciples who will live out the great commandment to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves, but also to live out the great commission, which is to make disciples. We do this by offering a variety of what we call different uh, discipleship spaces. These are spaces in which we believe we are going to make disciples. I want to encourage you and ask you, are you a part of a Sunday morning Bible study? We have Sunday morning Bible studies for adults, for teenagers, and for our children. Part of consistently walking with God is studying the Word of God with other believers. It's such a blessing to do Bible study with other believers because in that, we gain insight. The Lord reveals something to you that maybe he didn't reveal to me, but you can share that with me and open up my eyes so that I can see things that maybe I miss and vice versa. Are you involved in a Bible study on Sunday mornings? We also have something that we call growth groups. Most of our growth groups meet on Sunday evening or some meet during the week, either in homes or here at the church. But the primary focus of our growth groups is to build community within the body of Christ. When our growth groups gather together, they generally share a meal together. They spend time discussing some scripture, and they spend time praying together. Basically, what they're doing is they're doing life together. Because we believe that we genuinely are better when we're together. So, are you in a growth group? If not, I want to challenge you to join one. We also offer spiritual growth classes on Wednesday evenings. These classes are focusing on equipping you in your life as a disciple. In the past, we've offered classes on prayer to help you to to have a stronger prayer life. We've offered classes on helping you to share your faith. Right now, we're doing a class on how to study the Bible. We're also offering parenting classes right now. Are you a part of a spiritual growth class? And then lastly, we have something that we call discipleship circles. These are gender-specific groups made up of three to four men or women that meet once a week 
generally for Bible study, for prayer, and for accountability. Usually these groups meet for about a year's time, and at the end of that time, they're challenged to then go and recruit two to three other people to form a new discipleship circle. We believe that these spaces help us to make disciples, to make us disciples that will be consistent in their walk with God. And so if you're not a part in in any of these discipleship spaces, I would challenge you today to join them. So what is the key to a well-lived life? Spending your life walking with God. Are you doing that today? If you're here today or if you're watching online or listening by radio, and maybe you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to say to you today, you're not going to walk with somebody that you don't know. You're not going to walk with somebody that you don't know. So where do you start? It starts with belief. Hebrews 11:6 says, and without faith, or belief, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And the key there is must believe that he is. Must believe that he is what? That he's God. You see, it's not enough to simply believe that there is a God. For the Bible tells us in James 2, 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shuddered. So simply belief in in God, that there's a God, is not enough. You have to believe that He is God. The God of the Bible is the one true God. There is no other. You have to be looking for Him. The Bible tells us that if we seek Him, we will find Him. You see, He's waiting for you today with His arms wide open, God is waiting for you to turn to him today so that he can extend his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness to you. Salvation is yours to be had today. Eternal life is yours to be had today if you would just turn to him. It's there for the taking. In a moment, we're going to give an invitation And you're going to have the opportunity to believe. Just as Johanna made that decision, you're going to have the same opportunity that she was given to believe, to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you, I would strongly encourage you, don't let the opportunity pass you by. You see, what you do with Jesus Christ is the most important decision that you will make in this life. And why? Because the decision that you make of what you do with Jesus Christ has eternal consequences. The Bible says in reference to Jesus that there is no name, no other name that has been given under heaven by which we must be saved. The Bible also says that whoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God is waiting God is waiting to begin a relationship with you. To the Christian today, I would ask you, are you consistently walking with God or are you simply doing so when it's convenient for you? You see, walking with God implies a progression, right? A progression in our faith. 
So I ask you, are you further along in your walk with God than you were this time last year? Are you further along in your walk with God than you were this time last month? Are you further along in your walk with God than you were last week? Are you further along in your walk with God than you were yesterday? If you're not progressing in your walk with God, then I would have to ask you, what is it that's hindering you? What is it that is keeping you from that closer walk with God? For you see, the closer that you walk with God, the less room that there is for anything to get in between you. How close can your walk with God be if your life is filled with so many other things? We're good about filling up our lives with things, aren't we? And a lot of the things that we fill up our lives with are not necessarily bad things. There are a lot of good things that we fill our lives up with. But the question is, are they the best things? Some that are here today, some that are watching online or listening on the radio, may need to take this time and give up some of those things, lay them down, because they're hindering your walk with God. Many may need to take advantage of the numerous opportunities that the church is providing you to help you to have that consistent walk with the Lord. None of us should be content with where we are in our walks. Everyone here has room to improve in their walk with God. I heard it said a long time ago that there's no such thing as a mature Christian. There's no such thing as a mature Christian because that implies that we've arrived and none of us have. But there's only maturing Christians. This last story, and then we're through, comes from the devotional uh, book, Our Daily Bread. It's called Keeping Clean. A writer who visited a coal mine noticed a perfectly white plant growing right by the entrance to the mine. The author and the other visitors noticed that there was coal ash being blown all around, but yet none of it was sticking to this little white plant. As the people watched, a miner picked up some of the coal ash and he threw it on the white plant, but not a particle stuck to it. Numerous of the, many of the visitors also took some of that coal ash and they threw it on there, but it still would not stick. Nothing would stain this plant's snowy whiteness. You see, this illustrates what the Christian life should look like. We live in an evil world. Ungodly influences surround us all. And as a Christian, it should be our mission to be pure amidst all the dirt and to desire to remain unspotted by the world. How is this possible? Enoch lived in a day before the flood in which Scripture says was wicked, that the intent of man's heart was evil. And yet the Bible says that he walked with God for 300 years. 
If the Lord can keep a plant white as snow amid clouds of black dust, can He not by His grace keep our hearts pure in a world of sin? We live in the world, but the world must not live in us. We live in the world, but the world must not live in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for the example of Enoch, that he was a man who walked with you, and that you have called each and every one of us to walk with you, that even in the midst of a wicked world, we can have a consistent walk with God. Lord, as I said a few moments ago, we cannot begin to walk with you unless first we know you. And so God, I pray that if there's anyone here today, anyone watching online or listening over the radio that does not know you as their personal Savior and Lord, that right now in this moment, God, that you would speak to their hearts. God, as Johanna said, that you touched, felt like someone was touching her leg, God, you would touch their hearts, help them to see their need for you. And that now in this moment, they would not allow this opportunity to pass by. Father, for the believer, God, if there's any of us here that are not walking consistently with you in this moment, God, may you convict our hearts. May we lay down, cast aside those things that would hinder so that we can follow you, so that it could be said of us, they were men and women who walked with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?